Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or a real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you successfully sued a corporation only to have the principal claim it had no assets. What did you do? Dennis, we showed after the judgment there was a pattern of the principal taking money out of the corporation for his own personal purposes. And the outcome? After examining and documenting the corporation bank statements, we showed a pattern where the principal was using the corporation as his own personal piggy bank. We were able to show that he personally had a lot of money and should be the real defendant. He thought he could get away with everything by hiding behind the skirts of the corporation, but now he's personally liable. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. This is the Brock Lurie Podcast with me, as always, my good friend and producer, Ari David. Thanks so much for tuning in. You know, we're getting a lot of nice uh, listeners, uh, Ari, and uh, our listenership seems to be growing quite, quite well. And I ask, if you do like this show, this podcast, then please go ahead and uh, talk to two of your friends. How about that? And get them to sign up and be subscribers as well. Um, the message is really getting out. I think what people like about this particular podcast, compared to a lot of other podcasts, is that I just don't think that there's many podcasts out there like this. And uh, without tooting our own horn, I, I just think that uh, the depth that we provide is is uh, somewhat unique. I, I haven't found too many other podcasts like that. Um, and, and frankly, that's part of the reason why I've created this podcast. I want a podcast that I would listen to. Uh, the same thing with my Sunday show, by the way. When, when I first started it off, I don't know if you know this, Ari, but they offered uh, me to um, you know, have a, an hour-long show about the law, latest trends in the law, and talk about uh, you know, the great results that we had in our cases and such. And there's a lot to talk about. I'm very proud about our legal work. And I thought to myself, nah, <laughs> I don't want to do that. And they said, well, why not? You don't not? want to take your work home with you uh, well, <laughs> on Sunday mornings? That's something. And, uh, no, no, that's, that's, that's I, I, I get what you're saying. But no, I, I'd be happy to, to brag about my firm and, and the, the, the results we've achieved. But, but I, here's what. I just didn't want to be among the vast wasteland of other people that, um, you know, the shows are about uh, the pet. Uh, there's a pet show. There's a computer show, how to fix your computer. There's a finance show about uh, what the latest trends in finance are. And I think it's a big yawn for a lot of people. And I thought, you know what? I'll be, I'll do a political show. Because that's what everyone wants, right? And, and in, the, in the vast wasteland of the weekend, well, I'll be the one hour. I'll be the island of political commentary that I think people are looking for and that I, I know that I'm looking for. And boy, do I enjoy that. It's, it's a lot of fun. And it is, it's very different than the law uh, practice that I have. There's a lot of stuff that I see in common, of course, but, but still it's about political events and it's a lot of fun. And likewise, this podcast, I think that, you know, I just haven't heard too many podcasts that analyze issues like we analyze them. I think we go really deep and people like it a lot. So anyway, without tooting our horn, our horn anymore or any further, um, you know, maybe talk to a couple of friends, uh, share it, like it, and uh, spread the word on Facebook. Uh, we'd, we'd sure appreciate that. All right, uh, and you, of course, you can if, you, if you're not hearing this on iTunes, well, then you can subscribe to it on iTunes and, and get all the past episodes as well. All right, uh, a thought came to us um, about beauty. You know, there was, there, was, there was an episode that we had, I don't know, about a year ago now, Ari, where we talked about beauty and how extraordinarily human it was as opposed to something that animals might resonate to. We, 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 we know that animals don't, have a sense of beauty because it's frankly not necessary to them. But what is necessary for them is food and not to become food, right? And then, of course, to reproduce. But there's nothing really that they, they yearn for. Like we, we might see a beautiful sunset and I might call you out and say, hey, you know, Ari, check out the sunset. Isn't this awesome? It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. You, you'll, you'll appreciate the uniqueness of that sunset. A dog, not so much, Right. And, and beauty is a, it's a really important part of our lives. 
and, and we don't even know that. Sometimes it's a beautiful argument in court. Sometimes it's, a, it's an exquisite way of dealing with somebody else in a deal, right? Um, sometimes it's a foreign policy um, masterful stroke. You know, one of those people, by the way, was Bismarck. He was a, 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 an incredible statesman, and he managed to do such incredible things in order to make Germany Germany. Um, but so it is, as we we're thinking about it, about the human condition and the human body, for that matter. You and I are fascinated, right? I mean, there's. Let, let's face it. Uh, if you're listening to this show, you're, you're probably somebody that that likes to talk about things the way they really are, as opposed to some fanciful way. So uh, we talk about liberalism, for example, and it's always about the highfalutin interpretation of everything. But you and I, no, we, we like to talk about the world as it is, and, and hence we love capitalism because it deals with human nature as it is, not the way we want human nature to, as it should be somehow. And that's what communism is all about, and that's why communism has failed. Now, um, the reality is, and, and talking about beauty, you can see many different people, right? You, you imagine very good-looking people, say uh, one of my favorite, uh, you know, I, I personally think uh, one of the most beautiful actresses out there is uh, Penelope Cruz, okay? Putting aside the, the mistakes, mistakes that she has made politically, uh, she, she's just a, a gorgeous woman, okay? That's, that's my, my taste, and, of course, there's no woman more beautiful than my, my own wife, but nobody knows, uh, you know, they haven't met my wife, so I'm, I'm trying to throw out a face out there that everyone can recognize. And I think she's beautiful. And why? Because, you know, she takes care of herself. She, she seems to have a sense of her personal grooming. I, I just like the way she looks, you know, something about her. She, she's put together, right? People use that phrase very, very commonly. That, that person is well put together. And that applies to, to men, too, right? I mean, not that I'm attracted to men, but I can see by looking at a certain man, okay, well, that guy is a good-looking guy. He's, he's well put together. He, he seems to be, he's not a fat schlub, right? And he seems to, you know, have a haircut once in a while, and he, he doesn't seem to be unkempt, right? And we can appreciate that. And it's about the descent in, in many ways. Uh, when, when we don't like somebody, I mean, and there are many personalities I can, I can bring out. But one of them, and I say this only because it's an example that I think everyone could, could gravitate toward. Uh, Bella Abzug. Do you remember her, Ari? She, she was a, uh, from New York. New York, uh, yeah. uh, like city councilwoman or yeah. congress. She became a congresswoman, yeah, I think, at some point. she was one of those like, machine politicians from the Democrat Party in New York right. City. And I bring it up not because she was a former liberal and such. I don't even know if she's still alive. Um, but but she was she became famous not only because of her radical liberalism but also because uh, she was just so plainly ugly, and I, and I don't mean that in a uh, I guess it only comes out harshly when I say it that way but I really don't mean it folks I I mean she became famous because she was so unappealing to look at. Let me help you out on this one. Yeah, you have please. A reputation to protect. <laughs> she was so hideous. Ugly people got angry that she was called just ugly. Right, I see. It, it, she, it was that bad. Yeah, they said, hey, I'm it, ugly. It and I know ugly. Of hideousness that was medusa. That's right. You, ma'am, you are not ugly. Right. <laughs> uh, I know ugly. Uh, ugly is a friend of mine. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, she, she, she was really quite breathtakingly ugly. And and the reason why we bring her up is not just to, to hurl insults at her. And because, you know, frankly, she's a personality of the past, so I, I don't know that people are going to be too Although offended. half an hour of this segment hurling abuses at her would be quite entertaining to me. Right. So. Right. And by the way, it's not actionable from a legal point of view because, first of all, she's a public figure. <laughs> and secondly... Uh, it's my opinion. And third, truth is a defense. <laughs> All right. I'm a lawyer. <laughs> you can take that to the bank. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so but, but the reason why I can also bring it up is that she went out of her way to, to say, I am who I am. And love me for who I am. And beauty's that on the inside. Yeah, well, she, she sure. made, That I don't know whether she said beauty's on the inside, but that was certainly the implication. And you have to accept me for who I am. And Okay, look, I, I can accept you as a human being, but I don't have to accept you as a beautiful human being. 
So don't tell me you're beautiful on the inside or, or outside because you ain't. And, uh, you know, and, and so many people correctly say that clothes make the man or clothes make the, the, the person. And if you wear sloppy clothing, well, then people are going to think less of you. And, and you know what? You're they absolutely do. right. But, but why isn't the same true when it, came, when it comes to um, your body? Right, if if you're you could be wearing the most fantastic clothing in the world, but if you're you have a stomach as a man, let's say that that sticks out to Timbuktu, and um, you have crooked teeth all over the place, and and you know you, you just you smell and otherwise, and and you you waddle as you walk, and it's clear you haven't done a push up in your life. Well, you know we're still gonna we're still gonna find you very unappealing, and very few people are gonna say you can you know you look great, Bob. It, you got to do something with yourself, okay? And and so we're getting somewhere with this, okay? Because I'm, I'm fascinated with the notion of beauty and why it is that we gravitate toward it, and and I think part of it I, I was noticing whenever I notice my wife. By the way, I just like looking at her, and I'm I'm just so honored to have her as my wife. She's she's just a pleasure to look at, and part of that pleasure of looking at her, I think, is because I know that she works out. She makes an effort. She, she feels an obligation, I guess, to, to not only to me to look good, but also to society in a, in a way. Like she, you know, we all kind of need to look nice for each other, right? I mean, you, you go out in the street, and, and in the old days, certainly, you would, you would wear a tie. Um, when you go to court, you show respect and you wear the appropriate uh, clothing, right? It's, it's a way of, of us communicating to each other to say, look, I expect you to look good and I want to look good for you too. It's, it's kind of this deal that we have, this community deal. Are you with me on this? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so why wouldn't it apply also to the way our bodies are, generally speaking? Why not bring out the best in us? Why not kind of lose a couple of pounds? Why not, if you're a lady, you know, put on a little bit of makeup? It doesn't have to be tons, but just a little bit. And uh, just really bring out the beauty that you know you have, right? Um, because we're all in it and together. We want to look at each other. We have to, we have to look at each other. And I noticed the other day, I mean, I look at my wife all the time. She's just such a pleasure to look at. But I also see other women, or not that I'm interested in being physical with them, but I literally saw this other woman, I don't know, a week ago. And she was nowhere close as, as pretty as my wife, of course, but she was very attractive. And I, I use that word literally. Um, it was in the car she was coming up by, and she just looked really attractive. And I, I was literally attracted to her. My, I found my eyes going toward her. I, I almost had to look at her. And it was a pleasant experience. I liked looking at her. I had no desire to cheat on my wife. I had no desire to... But I found... And it was curious to me. I, I thought, why do I find it pleasant to look at her? Right? I, I didn't want to make her feel uncomfortable, of course. But no doubt a lot of guys look at her. But I, I liked it. It was a pleasant experience for me just to look at her, right? It's not, I, I didn't even want her that way. I just, the experience was good. And, and, and but conversely, if I, if I see an ugly person, man or a woman, I don't want to look at them, right? I mean, I, I actually, my head averts, you know, a, a gaze with that person. <clears throat> and, and maybe that's just the way we're built, and, and most people, of course, are, are ordinary. <clears throat> They're trying to make themselves look the best, the best that they possibly can. But, um, and so, you, you know, you don't necessarily gravitate toward them or not. But the pleasure of looking at an attractive person, that's what I want to get to right now. And even, even some guys, you know, I, I, again, it's not a question of being, you know, pleasant, you know, looking at them from, a, from an attraction point of view. But it's as if, as if that person, well, you know, he's, he's doing it for, for a social purpose of some kind or another. His, his, his demeanor, his face is such that people want to look at him. I don't know. That's the way it is. And, I, and it's not just like I want to have sex with this woman. I want to have sex with that man. It's, it's, it's something beyond that, don't you think? Yeah. I, I think it's, it's a pretty strong impulse. It's, it's the same impulse that you have to... Uh, uh, go through what they call the artistic experience when you see something of beguiling beauty in a yeah. museum. 
you stop <clears throat> and you stare. Right. How many lyrics and poems are written in, in songs that have that exact words? I stopped right. and I stared. It, it didn't matter what, whether it's a beautiful car, a beautiful man, beautiful woman. These things right. are elemental, but it's especially when it's a, a beautiful person, one of us, one of our own species, a fellow right. uh, brother or sister of life who was yeah. created by God in God's image. Because it, it, you're it, seeing the hand of God performed better than in others. Exactly right. It's, it's, a, it's a thing of beauty, as we sometimes say, and it's the, 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 it, it gives us joy. I mean, just to, you know, it, when I see a beautiful woman on the street, it's not as if like, you know, gosh, I missed an opportunity. I could have, uh, you know, asked her on a date and maybe we might have been something I, because first of all, I'm, I'm certainly happy in my own marriage and everything else, but I still, I, I don't know, I enjoyed seeing that beautiful face of that woman and, you know, there's a skip in my step, right? I mean, it, it, it kind of lifts up my day, even though I, we're, we're not, we're never reproduce, <laughs> we'll never have, you know, amorous uh, coupling at all, nothing like that. Speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but you get the idea. And the same, now you talked about poems, right? And, um, and I can talk about lyrics and music. There are some lyrics and music that are so delightful to listen to because it extends beyond physical beauty. But the thing that you like the most when you think about it is the lyrics are so straightforward and yet they reflect hard work behind putting it together in the song. For example, Hey Jude, one of my favorite songs of all time. The simplicity of the music, the perfect timing of the words to the music itself, and the message itself about, you know, getting over troubles that, that, have, that you're facing, a hard time. And the way that, the, that Paul McCartney says those words, it's a really a thing of beauty. Um, and, and, you know, I feel the same way about some Radiohead songs um, and Pink Floyd in the old days. The song Time, for example, is one of the most beautiful songs ever written, and the lyrics are delightful. Um, and and it, what I also like about it is that all four band members wrote that song together. They put it together. It's a, and it's full great. of profound truths. I, and I, I know this... Profound truths, there I, you go. I know that what we're talking about... <clears throat> mm-hmm. We're not intending to take this into the political, but because our friends on the other side have made everything political, it goes, it, it can't be not mentioned that the truth that I'm hearing in all this has to exactly do, go right down and drill this in. It has to do with truth. Liberalism, communism, not only is the social plan, the, the urban plan and all those things, contradictions to the way people live truthfully and said wedge them into these untruthful lifestyles out of their cars and into the bike lanes out of their bikes and into the walking you know all that kind of stuff but or or out of the church and into the clerk's office yeah whatever it is into the bureaucrat it wants to get rid of the natural human truthful experience you just talked about with that beautiful woman or the beautiful song lyrics that reflected a truth right it it Everywhere from policy to the very experience of life, they want to undermine your truth and fill you with the lie that Bella Abzug is beautiful on the inside. Yes. Oh, because yes. if you think about what that actually means, and then I'll stop ranting because I know it's your show, not mine. <laughs> Listen to the Ari David show <laughs> podcast. Ari David is taking over for 90 <laughs> right. seconds. Think about what beauty on the inside means. What's on the inside? Blood, guts, organs, bunch of disgusting smells and liquids yeah. that's encapsulated and held inside by the skin covering that we all have. But yeah. what's on our insides is disgusting. Well, yeah, that's the physical part of it. But yeah. they'll say to you, no, Ari, what I mean is that she's beautiful on the inside, meaning like her personality and such like that. But you don't get to show that very often. And when you do show it, it, it better be beautiful. I'll give you an example of exactly this point that you're just saying, because it's worth exploring. Albert Einstein, okay? Not a handsome man. Okay? No. Kind of freaky looking when you think about it, right? Ew. But the formula, E equals MC squared, beautiful. That's right. Beautiful, right? And it explains so much. The exquisite beauty in that formula, which was derived after a lot of hard work, that's beauty on the inside, my friend, Okay. Now, there are some other problems with Einstein. He was a terrible father and a terrible husband. But in terms of the, the beauty that he was able to, to extend scientifically, 
You can't beat that. But was that beauty on his inside, or did he find something that God created outside of himself and give it a label that people could understand? Well, of course, okay. Uh, I, I'm but saying I, I understand, but you're, you're going you're going off topic on that. Well, what, sure. what, what I'm saying is that well, the beauty he, on his inside is his ability. His to ability, yes, discern yes, it. exactly yes. right. And um, the, now the ability of an athlete to um, do the let's say a perfect figure eight or the whatever the triples you know somersault that they have in ice skating or <clears throat> or even uh, the way the, the beauty of the, uh, in the way that Wayne Gretzky speaking about another ice sport right uh, is able to get to the puck just at the right moment or a beautiful chess game right I mean you and I have played chess uh, a couple times where um, the moves uh, have been really tension filled but at the same time like an, an exquisite sort of interplay of the, the pieces and one has to rely on the other and the assumptions of sacrifice here and the, the consequential thinking there, it's a thing of beauty. Chess is a thing of beauty. And elegance and wonderful. Right. And, <clears throat> and la- we want that. Yeah, and, and it's not just the, uh, shall <clears throat> we say, the dexterous sports. Last night they played a football game. Right. I know football isn't considered... The, on one of the last plays of the game, this big ugly guy made a tackle and forced a fumble that was a thing of, yes, beauty. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful play right. with a bunch of big ugly guys doing right. it. But the funny thing is, the, the, the back of the water cooler the next Monday or whatever the next business day is going to be, that's what the guys will be talking about. And they'll actually say, that was a thing of beauty. That play right? was beautiful, yes. And that coach was right to do this or that quarterback was right to... to, to to push that really wise, and it worked. And they'll nod their heads like, yeah, you know, we're in on this thing. And it was it was an appealing, it was a passion. It gave me a, a skip in my step, to use to go back to that phrase again. Here's another example. There was a TV show that I saw. I didn't quite binge on it, but I, I saw it over a series of uh, three or four months. Uh, Breaking Bad. Okay, now here's a story about a, a, a man, a chemistry teacher, who decides to, to, to break bad and uh, become a meth, um, you know, meth head, and to sell meth. And you would think, okay, this is not an appealing thing. He went but, full Costanza as far as opposite to right. the ultimate extreme of oh, yeah. opposite. Right. <laughs> but to watch this story is not only beautiful visually, and it was stunningly visually beautiful. You wouldn't think that a, a story about meth would be like that, but but <laughs> believe me, it is. But the story itself is beautiful. How this man arced from being such a simple, uh, you know, high school chemistry teacher who, who could end up being so evil at parts and yet still somehow resonate to his family and, and how it's a beautiful ending. It's a perfect ending. It's a thing, that's right, of beauty. Okay. And, and it makes me, even, as a, even though it's a story about meth, it... It's a story that I, I find my, my brain kind of harks back to this scene and that scene and the way he undermined this uh, drug dealer and how he, had, you know, how he was clever about maneuvering out of this and how he was trying to protect his family, but at the same time hurting his family. And the story was so interesting and the beauty of the end and how he had a perfect ending. I don't want to give it away. But it made me have a skip in my step, so to speak. It, it, it kind of lifted me. And it was all about beauty. And what I'm trying to say is beauty is far more impart, important in our lives than we may think. Or more than we want to admit. Yeah. yeah. Because that's, of that's all right. the pressure to accept that everything has a chance of being right. beautiful because not everything is. Right. But, and we seek it out. And, I, and now, now I'm really going to bring it in because I believe conservatism seeks beauty and lifts the beautiful up. And highlights it. Whereas I believe that liberalism seeks to destroy and seeks the destruction of beauty. And and how can I say this generalized statement? I mean, this is just so offensive. Because I can't it's believe. true. But I, I think I can back it up. Here, here we go. Um, the art world. Just, just look at modern art today. And you cannot possibly say this is a thing of beauty. Uh, you know, the you know, Rauschenberg, that famous Rauschenberg, uh, um, I don't know if you, lithograph, I think they call it, with a bunch of lines on it. It's not beautiful. There's nothing beautiful about it. You may look at it and may make give you some feelings. It may make you think about alienation. I don't care what you think out of it, but it, it ain't beautiful. I'll tell you what is beautiful. Uh, the, um, oh my gosh, Mona Lisa. Um, 
the, the, the statue of David, Michelangelo's David. I mean, it's, it's a thing of beauty. The, the, the Venus. The Sistine Chapel. The Sistine the, Chapel. I mean, the, just, how can you not, can you, you look at this in the same way that we just talked about the song Time by, by Pink Floyd, which was a collaboration of efforts and how beautiful it was, how they managed to, to think about these things and, and put it together as one package and how everything fits together, how they, how they could do that. And all the more so with the Sistine Chapel, to use your example. Uh, the Rodin sculptures that, that I, I love so much that I remember seeing when I was at Stanford, that there's Rodin everywhere. It's a, there's a Rodin garden. Um, uh, even Picasso, um, just the, the exquisite expression that comes out, even though that's, that's not quite, um, that borders on the modern art. The point is that most modern art is a descent. It, it, it attempts to bring out the most ugly to the point that even that there's a recent work of art where a uh, it's a statue of a police woman. Why a police woman? I'm not so clear. Uh, she's defecating. No, urinating, micturating. Okay, well, whatever. Well, she's, she's squatting and doing one of the elimination acts yes. one would do. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't make me. Feel, I feel. I feel a little bit better that it's only urination, but it's not very good. But even that woman, that police woman, even she is obese and. And, and unpleasant to look at. It's as if they can't give us a, a moment of, of respite where we can just enjoy something beautiful. There's no such thing in, in the, the modern art world uh, like, a, like a beautiful sunset. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as a beautiful curve of a, a woman's beautiful figure. It's just, it, there's not even a hint of it. I mean, I wouldn't mind, for example, uh, showing me just a, a, you know, a curve of a woman's waistline just to see that soft, that they exquisite curve. It's a perfect curve, right? And that's, that's God's hand in there, just saying, isn't this beautiful? This is a carving of, a, of, of the beautiful thing I call a human being, the female version of it, at least. And, and what a delight to look at. And, and, and then that would draw our eyes to that particular part of a human, a human female's body, and it would be beautiful indeed. But instead, you get this crap like uh, that, that there's beauty in, the, in a floating piece of paper, like from the, from the movie American Beauty, which ironically uh, had very little beauty in it, right? Uh, but, but it's very strange. And, 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 I, and I bring this up because conservatism is the last bastion of beauty. And, and, and if you don't like it, and if you disagree with me, tell me why you think that liberalism offers anything beautiful. I, I guess here, here's where I think they'll, they'll argue, Ari. I'm going to try to play the devil's advocate on this one. They'll say, look, we think it's beautiful to want everyone to be equal. We think it's beautiful that um, there should be no, um, that the taxes should be very high so that we can have a, a whole structured society. Um, but, but that's not beauty. That's just dogmatism. That's, that's dictatorship. That's just giving power to one person and telling him to mandate it upon everyone else. What's, be what's beautiful about that? And what it is is the natural and truth, the natural order and truth of beauty is that beauty, by definition, must be rare. Yeah. And because it's rare, like a diamond or a vein of gold in a mine, we're drawn to it when we see it and experience yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's it, a reason why it, beauty, beauty is so seldom seen. Where, I, like, for example, I, I, I might very well tell you, if you were buddies in, a, in an office, um, you know, I might come back from uh, lunch and say, oh, my gosh, all right, I met this woman. It was so beautiful. She just was stunning to look at. I, couldn't, I just couldn't stop looking at her. She was so beautiful. And, that, and you and I would share it because she's unusual. She's a rarity. Right? If, if every other woman were exactly as beautiful, we wouldn't be talking about it. So that's more to your point. Yeah, and what conservatism seeks to do is elevate the rare and draw our eye to the rare, wonderful, spe special, holy experiences and notions within humanity that we can cling to. What is conservatism? It is a moderating influence on our behavior that draws us to certain rare and few principles each of which is beautiful and extends its beauty to other areas of life. Versus liberalism that by its very nature says everything goes all the time everywhere. Yeah, chaos. And, it, and chaos. if you create the chaos that liberalism creates, 
and you see the resulting rubble and destruction and misery and gray days of, like, say, the Soviet Union or a perfect example, Chernobyl, well, you're going to start ex- accepting very mundane and rather hideous things as beautiful because compared to the horrible rubble you see, well, maybe they are, just yeah. by contrast. <laughs> that's right. It, it, in that sense, beauty is indeed in the eye of the beholder. But we believe that there are certain truths, right? In the same way that you and I believe in the Ten Commandments, we, we hold those truths to be, as they say, self-evident, uh, that, that it is wrong to murder, it is wrong to steal, it is wrong to commit adultery, and so on. But to the liberal mind, uh, there is no such thing. Everything is relative. And that's why I th- that, that phrase, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, uh, it must have been a liberal who invented that Absolutely. one. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and if not, then it, well, it, it's, I don't know. No, it, no. I, I wouldn't be, I, let's put it this way. I, I would be surprised if a liberal invented it because everything is truly relativistic for them. And, and we, by contrast, believe, you know what? That woman, that's beautiful. Okay, don't tell me she's not. Michelle she Pfeiffer, is. 1985, beautiful. Beautiful. Bella Abzug, any time in her life, hideous. There's, there's, no, there's no planet, yeah. well, maybe a different universe where she is beautiful, but not in this universe is, is she beautiful. And, and I like that. I like the fact that there are, are standards by look, which we live. Right. But the standard itself reflects beauty. The standard of the, the Ten Commandments themselves are beautiful. They are each objects of beauty. Look, every, every Hasidic Jew I know, every truly observant Christian that I know, you know what they all have in common? They yes. have a skip in their step. Yes. They are truly happy. And, and I think that they're happy because they see beauty constantly. Wouldn't you? I, I see beauty all the time in, in, in God's workings and such. And I, and I see, when I see that beautiful woman and when I see that beautiful song that, that lifts me up so much, I am thankful. I am happy. Uh, and I know that it comes from God. And, and that is a beautiful thing. So the Ten Commandments themselves, beautiful. And, and I, I wonder if we, can have, if we can have a world where anything can really be beautiful, where we don't have those standards. And that's why we started off, yes, with, with the example of Bella Abzug. And it may be offensive to some <clears throat> but you know what? I don't care. Because unless you can, you can say this is what is beautiful, then, then I don't know if you can enjoy life at all. And by the way, you just made such a brilliant point. I have to stop you. You said it might be offensive to some. You have just proven ugliness is in the eye of the beholder, but beauty and truth is self-evident. Yeah. yeah. You just proved it. Yeah, I think so. In that statement. I think so. And, and I, what, I, what I love about this country is that it still seeks out beauty. It, it still understands that liberty is superior to every other form of government and that to some extent America has reached a, a pinnacle and in many ways is superior to just about every other culture in the world. And they're right because I want to share that beauty with the rest of the world and that's why I think America itself is a beautiful country. Conservatism is beautiful. And God rule the day that we ever decide that beauty doesn't matter. Because beauty, as it turns out, is everything. It's what gives us our skip in our step. This is Brock Lurie. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case involving a $220,000 promissory note, and you won a trial, but later discovered that the defendant had transferred all his assets. Dennis, when judgment debtors don't want to pay, they may shift assets over to their relatives, asking them to hold them till the coast is clear. How did you get the payment? The defendant had transferred title to two commercial buildings. We convinced them to admit it was an illegal transfer. That led to a great settlement with guarantees from relatives with penalties. And don't you know, they're making payments every month on time like clockwork. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM 870, The Answer. 
Hi, this is Brock Lurie, and uh, we are back. Uh, thanks very much. We were talking before about uh, the, the notion of beauty, and I, I just, I really love that topic because, uh, you know, it, it becomes a question: Why did I, I like seeing that beautiful moment, or uh, seeing that beautiful woman, seeing that, uh, listening to that beautiful song, um, the uh, the beautiful argument in court, or whatever it might be, that the, the time where you kind of put your your fingers to your lips and say, Mwah, magnifique, right? I, we like that. And I've, I've come to, and we're going to turn the discussion a little bit, and I, I think, Ari, you'll like this a lot. I'm sure I will. Um, and this one is a question of an argument of beauty, perhaps. And I'm going to turn this around because, as you know, we've had a very frank discussion about whether or not Obama is can be explained by way of him doing things uh, incompetently or by doing things purposefully such that he is out to hurt the country and, for that matter, Western civilizations. So here's... I, I decided to frame the question like this. To those of you who like Obama, is it possible, and again, just possible, that this president wants to hurt the country? Okay. You like that question? Yes. Because that is the question that should now start drilling into your head, and you, you ask yourself, okay, well, well, gosh, I guess, I guess it's possible. And are there arguments to support that possibility? And I think there are arguments. Generally, the Obama supporter is the type of person who says, well, anything's possible. Yeah, well, that's, that's well, fair enough. This I, would be under the heading anything. Okay. So let's talk about that anything. What, what is that anything possible, right? So, and this is where the beauty part comes in, okay? <laughs> I tie both sections of this podcast together sometimes. All right. So in internationally, we know all the things that he's done. It's, it's um, even the most recent refusal to appear at Bibi Netanyahu's speech at the United Nations. He, he ordered Samantha Powers and John Kerry not to be there. And he did, in fact, ordered nobody you know, of any significance to be there. There was a regular UN assistant. It was the equivalent of a file clerk there just to you know, keep the seat warm, I, I think. They got very cold seats in the United Nations. Um, and so that's that's one thing. No, that's not that's not a symptom of of him wanting to destroy America, right? No, that's a symptom of him wanting to destroy Israel. <laughs> that's true. I digress. Western civilization, I should say. <laughs> right. But but the fact that he pulled out every single man from Iraq, the fact that he um, exposed the Azerbaijan connection to Israel uh, that Israel had with Azerbaijan to attack Iran, the fact that he supports this Iranian treaty, the fact that we now know from uh, President Kirchner herself, from Argentina, that the American uh, administration, the, the Obama administration, came to her and actually sought her out to, to sell enriched uranium to the Iranians. In 2010, years That's ago. Right, years ago. And uh, which is very odd. You don't see that as much in the news as, as I'd like, but it's a fact. It's, it's actually from her speech. Now, she could be totally lying about it. I understand that. But if she's lying about it, then it's, it's, it's possible. But it's very consistent with so many of the other crazy things we're seeing. This Iranian deal, there's, there's no way you can look at it and say uh, that came from a well-intentioned place. I, I just, you know, if we'd never had this discussion before, Ari, if we'd never talked about the Iranian deal, you and I could, could argue all day long. But if I hadn't already come to the conclusion that that Obama can only be explained by by trying to hurt this country, because that's the only way you can really explain everything that you see, only way. Okay, everything else you have to to work hard at, to say, well, you know, you'll give excuses over and over again. But then the Iranian deal came, and had I not, it's you know, like we talk about sometimes, had I not been pro-life already after Gosnell, I would have definitely become. You know, pro-life, or after this a baby, a baby part selling a scandal, I would have become pro-life, right? The Iranian deal, that should change everyone, because there's no way you can look at that deal and say with a straight face that that deal is a good deal and that's going to be protective of America, 
slash Israel, Israel slash the Western civilization. There's no way. It, it is utterly ruinous, and I, and I know this man knows it. Okay, and John and Kerry, intends it. Hey, oh, I think he intends it. I yeah. think he wants, and, and even by its own deal terms, it says that Iran will have the ability to, and to, to develop the bomb in eight, nine years. So why is it less dangerous eight or nine years from now than it is right now? Yeah, I'm planning to be here in eight or nine or ten yeah. years. Do you think I want them to have the bomb then? Right. Is it any less threatening at that point? I mean, is, is the idea that we're hoping they'll become a full-on democracy in the meantime? Maybe, maybe that's what it is. I, but, but, of course, that's not the argument that the administration makes. So you cannot look at this deal and say that there are good intentions behind this. It's impossible. That, that you gave $150 billion to this uh, terrorist uh, infrastructure, which, which you, you must know that it's going straight to Hezbollah and to Hamas and to, um, to support um, uh, Assad, you know, the, 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 the leader that we supposedly hate so much. Okay, so what, what, what gives there? And, and that we're supposed to support Iran in the event that Israel, and let's face it, they're only talking about Israel, seeks to sabotage or... Um, destroy the Iranian nuclear facility. So we're supposed to protect them now. I mean, it, it goes on. It's such an absurd thing. Uh, but let's talk about other things, too. Um, the fact that every time there's, there's a Muslim attack, the administration is uh, quickly says it can't possibly be a Muslim thing. Well, let's not race to conclusions, that sort of thing. It's workplace violence in the case of the Fort Hood massacre. It's, um, it's, it's just a question of violent extremism that uh, we should get off our high horse about because, after all, there was the Crusades and, and the Inquisition. So it, every single step that he takes, there's not a single pro-Christian thing that he's, that he's done other than attend a, a national prayer breakfast, I suppose. But that's where he said that the high horse comment, right? And brought up the Crusades from right. thousands of years ago, right. ignoring so, atrocities today. Yeah. By the way, you would think that that he would come up with some better examples, right? If he's going to come up with such a loaded phrase that at some point he would have said, you know, it brought up something better than the, the, the catch-all phrase that everyone uses, that every Tom, Dick, and Harry says, the Inquisition and the Crusades, right? Maybe you could bring up something. I mean, surely there must have been something terrible that the Christians have done. You know, more recently, recently than that, I mean, he didn't even say the child molestation things. Maybe he could have right. said something about that. Which, he, by the way, would be a very legitimate one to bring yeah, up. Yeah, but he didn't bring that up. Um, and there might have been some other scandals, but you would still scratch your head and say, is that all, yeah, Mr. President? Yeah, and then, President? of course, to child molestation, he doesn't say word one about the uh, Afghan child rape scandals, where he's punished Americans yes. for intervening on the behalf of Afghani right. children being victimized by sexually assaulting right. adults. Bergdahl is another good example, right? Uh, and apparently we paid uh, a billion or more uh, to get his release. To Al-Qaeda. To Al-Qaeda, right? Uh, the non-JV team. Yeah. We, we are okay, um, of course, with um, releasing all these terrorists from Guantanamo that we now know are uh, fighting us yet again to some extent, maybe in ISIS and maybe in Al-Qaeda. Yeah, and the news today broke that he's going to veto the defense authorization bill because it, unless it includes the shutting down of Gitmo, Guantanamo Bay. Oh, interesting. What is he going to do with those people? Just send them back to ISIS and Al-Qaeda for more mayhem? In other words, now he's going to threaten the essential defunding of our military. You know, this government shutdown business. He's the shutter-downer of the government all the time. And he's going to shut down the the wing of our government that has our military funding mechanisms so he can then release 200 of the most dangerous terrorists into the world. There's no other explanation for this, right? right? Oh, there's no, there, wait, I'm sorry. Yeah. There's no innocent explanation for this. What What is the other explanation uh, that that it costs too much to to imprison them to well, keep them in Guantanamo? Cruel. It's cruel. They don't let them have their. No. What What he What he says is it's a single greatest recruiting tool for the terrorists. Of course, they've never said that, right? But they don't like us. Period. If you, if you seriously thought that Gitmo was the single greatest recruiting tool, then you would expect them no longer to be talking about Gitmo at this point, since we're clearly minimizing it. And, and he, would, he would have brought it up over and over again, but he still hasn't. Yeah, but he can't say what the single greatest recruiting tool for terrorists are, because that's the part of the Koran that refers to jihad. Yeah, and, well, that's, uh, that's right. And, and we haven't even brought up 
the full withdrawal of, of Iraq yet. Oh, we didn't. We, we did. We, we did. Oh, we did? But, yeah, but, but you're right. We can delve into that. I mean, the fact that you cannot look at the full withdrawal of Iraq, now that we're talking about it, uh, and to, to a man and say, what the F is up with that, right? I mean, there's, there's no meaningful explanation where you can say that's a good decision. The only response that the liberal will tell you is, well, we shouldn't have been there in the first place. And I know you liberals out there, are you nodding your head at this point? Yeah, that's right. What's, ro- what's wrong with that argument, Mr. Lurie? That's what they're saying right now. I'll tell you what's wrong with that. It doesn't matter how, what, whatever you feel about the war in the first place. We were there. It was a fact on the ground. And once we were a fact on the ground, we had a responsibility, just like you know, uh, you know, uh, trying to rescue somebody from the middle of the street, and then you're trying to move them into a safer area, and then you decide, you know what, I don't feel like moving them to a safer area because, frankly, I should never have been here in the first place. I, I love the we shouldn't have been here in the first place argument, and the, my turnaround on it always is, you know, they shouldn't have blown up the World Trade Center in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good how about argument. that one? That, I like that one. That's that's a, that's a very good argument. Or how about this? Saddam Hussein should not have violated the no-fly zones in the first place, right? Yeah. How about it doesn't engage in all these rape rooms in the first place? I mean, it, it, it's the the answer to that, of course, is that we should turn a blind eye to this all this evil. They're okay with rape rooms. They're okay with this massive torture. They're okay with uh, imprisoning people for no reason whatsoever. They're okay with the, you know, a horrific culture like that. that, like that. Yeah, it's okay. They have to be okay with it. Their policies, their actual yeah. tangible decisions lead to those things. Yeah. They're not stupid. They know that it leads to it. All they can do is deny the connection between their actions and those atrocities. But okay. they, they know, meaning... Uh, ipso facto, I guess, would be then you must like it. Yeah, but let, let's let's go back to the the logic of the Iraq War uh, withdrawal because we said the only argument they have is we shouldn't have been there in the first place because th- there ain't nothing else. If if you're just looking at it as a chess chess game and your 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 goal in the chess game is to not just in this particular chess game is just to survive, just to make sure there's stability. Well, then you don't pull out every single friggin' man out of Iraq because you must know that that's going to lead to a descent into chaos and to hell. And that's exactly what has happened. And, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but very quickly after our full uh, retreat from Iraq, uh, there was all sorts of roadside bombings. There was all sorts of suicide bombings throughout Baghdad and, and, and elsewhere in Iraq right away. And I said, you know, at the time, you know, um, Obama has blood on his hands. And I thought it was just going to be a situation where it's going to descend into, you know, what it used to be back before 2007, and because before the surge, that is, and there'll be a lot of terrorist explosions, and the country won't be able to maintain itself, and a lot of people will die. But boy, was I wrong, um, wrong in, in the sense of degree. It was far worse than that. No, the reality, and this is one of the words that has to be used both for the Planned Parenthood situation and this. It's a holocaust. It's a Christian genocide. Yeah. It, it, and it's systematic. Yeah. And it's thought out. And and it's on video. And the people who are committing the genocide, unlike the Nazis, and we've talked about this before, are not only not hiding it, they're promoting they're, it. They're broadcasting And then it. our administration says, what, me worry? I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> they're showing you yeah. what they're doing. Uh, and then, of course, when it comes to the, the you know the Christians, the slaughter itself, the Obama administration says nothing about it. The, whether it's the Yazidis, who I don't know, frankly, whether they're Christians or not. I think they are. Yeah, they're Christian. Okay, the but, Kurds, and, the Kurds and, are Muslim. And, yeah, right. And then the Coptic Christians in Egypt, remember, they were uh, yes. you know, paraded in front of the beach. Uh, was, was it Egypt or Libya? I forget. Well, that was – well, th- that – that beheading happened in Libya, yeah. but the the Coptic Christian population in Egypt, which is sizable, suffered terribly in the wake of that Arab Spring thing that ju- oh just happened accidentally. Yes. And then, of course, the support of the Muslim Brotherhood as opposed to the Morsi government, right, right in Egypt, and like he, he suddenly well, was, Morsi was the Muslim I'm sorry, you're right. I'm sorry, of Al Sisi or yes. Uh, uh, what was Correct. his name? The guy who they replaced uh, Mubarak. Yeah, Mubarak. Yeah, Saddam. Yeah, no, he, he supported the Muslim Brotherhood aggressively in that, and he was very offended uh, that there would be any sort of effort against the Muslim Brotherhood, and he called it a coup when when they did displace the mother, Muslim Brotherhood. Thank goodness they did. Um, but this is but but his animation comes all when it comes all out 
when Muslims are threatened or there's any sort of uh, uh, disparagement of Islam. You know, hence the phrase, let, let it be clear that the future does not belong to those who uh, slander, the slander the prophet of Islam. And that was well-orchestrated phrase. You, you cannot tell me that came from the hip from this man. No, that was on the teleprompter. Yeah. You know, John Favreau wrote it. They put it in the teleprompter, flew him to Cairo at the Al-Azhar University, and he delivered it exactly as it was in yeah. the prompter. He wants to be And lo- he waved his little finger in that Muslim little... Yeah. He wants to be loved by the Muslim world. And then, of course, you know, kissing and, and praying or bowing down to the uh, to the king of uh, Saudi Arabia and otherwise, and his dismissive uh, outlook as to Israel and such like that. It's it's just getting harder and harder, folks. If you're if you believe that somehow putting aside all the the, the domestic agenda, put that aside, just from a foreign policy view, foreign policy point of view, if you view that what Obama is doing is somehow good for Israel, good for Western civilization, good for America, then by all means, please email me and explain to me why uh, any of those things were, are good. Now I, I'm going to kind of guess a little bit about this, to say, look, it's our high-handedness, it's our arrogance that has led to the conflagration in the Middle East in the first place. We shouldn't have been there in the first place. There again, there's that phrase, in the first place, right? And they'll go back to World War One and how we carved up the Middle East uh, to these ridiculous borders. And Andrew you know, Jackson should have never done the Trail of Tears. <laughs> you might as well go back. Because the 1820s are affecting us today, right? right? And, and, and what would you have us believe, my friends, that if, but for the, the, the allied powers in World War I, that had they not carved it up as they did, that somehow it would be just a wonderful beacon of love in the Middle East? I mean, please, yeah, what, what are you saying? They carved it up in the first place because it was as tyrannically horrible and atrocious then as it is today. Yeah. Okay, so. There was a reason they did it. Right. But going back to Obama, and that's what we, because I, I, I do realize this a little bit there. Um, there, there are so many other things. Every time there is some sort of attack upon Islam, he's he's there to defend. Uh, when, when there is a, um, a demonstration against Islam, such as what happened with the Charlie Hebdo thing, that was very telling to me. That that I thought, okay, that is something very significant because it was clear that he was invited to be part of this demonstration. He was told that every other world leader is going to be there. We're all going to lock arm in arm against this Muslim extremism, and we are support, and we're fighting. We, we are Charlie Hebdo, right? Je suis Charlie, as they said. And uh, somehow the administration wasn't there. Thank you very much. You know, and, and these things, it was not an oversight. It was clear that they intended it. And they were as far away from Netanyahu in that line as possible. Right. And, you know, the photo op was staged in such a way. The way they used to have those pictures of the Kremlin and the our agents would read the tea leaves as to who was in and who was out. Right. Who Stalin would kill next based on how close they were standing to the, right. the premier. It was the same yeah. kind of orchestration. And, and, and I say, as always, uh, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. <laughs> exactly right. The, the, the waiting but more is um, that he didn't do anything with the red line in Syria. Remember this, right? Because, boy, I'm drawing a red line here. I'm going to be tough. I tell you I'm going to be tough. And and then, you know, when, when we hear about that he's going to have some sort of sanctions on this and there's going to be airstrikes because as a result of this. Because they use chemical weapons. Because they use chemical weapons. Uh, John Kerry goes out of his way to say this is going to be unbelievably meaningless. I think he said unbelievably something. I think it was like a pinprick. Unbelievably small. Small. Yeah, okay. So he said that. Words. Like, well, if it's unbelievably small, why do it at all? I mean, I mean, if it's going to be one small bomb that you you plan to land in a soccer field, well, then please spend spare us the hundred thousand dollars to drop that bomb. Because who do you think you're impacting here, other than a couple of bugs on the ground? This is. I just I never understood that one, um, but I do understand it in context now. Yeah, and then of course there's a whole situation with Ukraine, so it's not just Muslim countries; it's uh, you know other anti-Western forces. Yes, uh, but I want to also bring up a quick point here because I know the counterargument that our adversaries on the left will sure. bring up. They'd say, "Well, this isn't unusual in American politics. We get in bed with a lot of dictators, a lot of bad people." True, 
That is true. But it was back in the day where the choice was either a strong man in, in Nicaragua or Daniel Ortega right. or a strong man in, uh, in uh, Chile, um, you know, Pinochet or a communist. So we always backed the strong man who was more aligned with our interests yeah, than sure. less. And our friends on the left would say, well, that's just because you're corporate as pigs. Maybe we are, but I think you could more sum it up that it was a moral choice between two bad choices right. and we chose the lesser of two evils. Yeah. In Obama's case, it's so consistent. His batting average is a perfect thousand. Yeah. It's either a home run every time or a strikeout every time. So, so help us, folks. Uh, and, and I mean this not – see, we're not, we're not even expressing this as an opinion, although I'm sure it comes out as an opinion. I'm asking you, I'm reaching out to you, my dear listener. Write to me, info at lurry-law.com. Tell us, please, why we are seeing this in the wrong way. Because if I were to be a jury, you know, hearing all this evidence, I'd like to see what the defense has to say, so to speak. Tell me what your side of the story is, Mr. Obama. And and if you're an advocate for Mr. Obama, the president, then please show me the evidence how he did, in fact, fight Islam, how he stood up to Islam, how he um, and he stood for Christianity or, for that matter, stood up for Western civilization. I want to see that. Or stood up for a more moderate element of Islam within a country in which a range of extremist options were practiced. Yeah, that's a good point. He definitely he because, because Egypt is the perfect example of that. Right. Well, the, the, he sided with the most extreme group. And he was very insistent about it. Uh, that, that leads to my next point, which is that he, he couldn't even say radical Islam or Muslim extremism. He, he, he insists he cannot do that. And the whole administration had to toe that line in the same way as the whole administration has to toe the, the ISIL line, right? It's not ISIS. It's not Islamic State. It's ISIL, and you better say it the right way. And so you, you hear it from top down in his administration. John Kerry says it. Uh, Kondal, uh, um, what's the name? Uh, Susan Rice had to say it uh, in Obama himself. Why? Is it, yeah, is it a mystery? Josh Arnest, every spokeshole every sp- comes up to a microphone says ISIL when they themselves, the actual group, calls themselves ISIS. Yeah, ISIS. Uh, so, so, so that's one thing. And then they just don't, they, they can't say uh, Muslim extremism, Islamic ext- extremism. They can't say radical Islam. Muslim terrorism. Yeah, and, and why? Why is that? It, he, instead, he, he creates a conference on violent extremism because he wants it. I mean, there's only one interpretation of this. And the interpretation is that he wants it to be a distraction away from Muslim extremism. He wants it to be a, a study of extremism, generally speaking, don't you know? Like, because, boy, boy, there's certainly a lot of those Mormons there. They're, they sure are extreme. Well, I think it's actually much more nefarious than that, but it's and, not know, really the subject of this and, uh, podcast. Well, you know, in fairness, the Seventh-day Adventists, I'm very, I'm getting a little worried about them. They're growing. Led by Ben Carson. Yes. The, the very, black they're terrifying. of Seventh-day Adventists. The amount of violent extremism I'm seeing from them is, is uh, well, pretty much nothing. But I am concerned about the potential. Uh, based upon what I don't know, but I'm still concerned. But you get the idea. I'm just joking around. That the these the reality is that 99.99 percent of uh, of all the so-called violent extremism extremism is Muslim extremism, and it, it it matters to me because as a lawyer, and as a human being, and as somebody that, that considers himself to be very analytical and a great critical thinker, uh, words mean something, and I know when people are playing with words. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't want to be played. And to me, it's, it's, it's getting to be more and more transparent the closer he gets to the end of his presidency. Yeah, because he's getting bolder and more reckless and, and everything. And also, an interesting point, you said 99% of the violent extremism is Muslim. Domestically, that last 1% that isn't is always black on white violent extremism, right. knockout game. Riots, shootings, Trayvon, right. Michael right. Brown, you know. Well, you could say that, I mean, in, in fairness, because I think there, there is a different cut altogether because those actions are not, they may have terrorist, they may not be, uh, uh, the, the results, the consequences may, may be the same, but the purpose is not the same. Right, there the, is, the purpose, they're not acts of jihad, obviously. Right, no, but, no, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. They're not acts of a design to terrorize people. 
when when the uh, uh, Palestinian terrorists uh, blow up a, a pizza parlor, it's not so much that they want to that they think they're, they're creating a victory because they've killed ten Israelis. It's because they've created terror in the society. That's what terrorism is well, about. I disagree, though. What about the Baltimore riots? That was a, a direct effort to terrorize uh, white suburban. No. No, I, I don't think so. I think that was, I mean, I think it's totally wrong, of course. That, like I said, the consequences may not be of any consequence, uh, of any significance to us. There may not be any meaningful difference. Because uh, I, because you know, if you're if you're a victim of of this mayhem, you're then a victim of the mayhem. It's it, you don't care how you die or why you're dying. You're dying, or you're dead, and 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 these guys, however, the purpose is is somewhat different. The the, the Baltimore riots were were born out of a sense of entitlement, a sense of rage and such like that, but not a design a design to say you. I, I hope you're afraid of me, and uh, we're going to terrorize you for the rest of our lives. No, it's 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 a sense of you know, I, I want what's coming to me and, and the victimhood and such like that. It's, it's, it's quite different in that sense. And that's why I say 99.99% of all terrorism is Muslim. And that's different than, than simply, you know, a lousy place to live and there, where there's high crime and such. Or violence, a riot, a yeah. murder, a stabbing, etc. Yeah. Or even racist uh, murdering, for example, black on black, as you say. Uh, it's... it's, it's um, and his failure, his utter failure to understand basic economics, or does he fail to understand no, basic economics? No, he doesn't economics? fail. He understands okay, okay. I'm, speaking, I'm speaking rhetorically. Oh, yes. Okay. Sorry. I'm so used to. <laughs> I'm, I, or does he understand? Right? And when I say that, I mean that the policies that he's advancing are so clearly uh, disastrous to the economy. Right? I mean, just for example, the Dodd-Frank uh, bill, uh, that, that he should know. All these FTC regulations, this this notion that you're going to let, let loose the internet to to the rest of the world so they can control it, for for real, Mr. President. I mean, talk about problem trying to fix a problem that doesn't exist. Or the massive debt, or the the zero uh, interest rate policies that are turning our, our money into worthless paper. Yeah, and, I mean, and there's only you, if someone did all those things, like you said, on the foreign policy stage to weaken and harm America. Why wouldn't they do it on the domestic front too? That's right. And and here's a big one: immigration, right? I mean, oh, the, the, obviously. I mean, the, people don't even talk about it. The, remember, just I think it was about eight months ago, nine months ago, they were talking about this. This, this spilling over of these incredible number of, of immigrants coming because of the, 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 the premise w was that children would be allowed to be uh, accepted as uh, dreamers, and therefore the, the, the families would follow them, and they were sending in these kids by themselves. And it was all kind of a ruse a little bit. Um, in reality, uh, they just they're keeping on coming. You know, the, the problem is not going away. This is a flood of immigration. Ann Coulter says, and I think she's right, because it, it never struck me as very correct. It was, it was always odd when people were talking about the, the 11 or 12 million illegal immigrants in America. And, and the number just didn't change over the past 20 years. They keep on talking about the 11 million immigrants. Yeah, it was just like with Iran four years ago. They're, we think they're six months away from Obama yeah. three years ago. Six okay. months away. In other words, the number would never change. It's the same technique. Okay, so, so yeah, so this, it, the number is not changing. And then if it's not changing, then you have to ask why is it not changing? Because clearly there's more and more immigration coming in. And, and even if it keeps up percentage-wise with the country, well, then the absolute number should change from 11 to 12 million to, to a, a number that is, cons that, that is consistent with that percentage. And those people are uh, having children. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's right. And they, they're having children at, um, at, at a greater numbers than the, uh, than the Native American population here. I'm sorry, the, 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 the Americans that are otherwise living here uh, legally. And, and that's a concern. So, but, but Obama doesn't mind this. He doesn't talk about this. The last thing he wants to talk about is immigration reform, whatever that means. And if he does talk about immigration reform, it's so loosey-goosey, and he knows nothing will ever get done, and he doesn't want anything to get done. Now, you could say, you know, look, if you're, if you're that cynical, Mr. Lurie, what you're really cynical about is the fact that he wants more votes for the Democrats. And that's the real reason why he's doing it. Well, I don't like that reason either, right? But if that were the reason, uh, let's say that would be the Deborah Wasserman Schultz reason, right? We need to have uh, a lot more voters for the Democrats. I can understand it only from a power point of view. But 
But Obama, everything he does seems to have a destructive element to it. And it's this knocking down of America a peg. And, I, and I'd like, again, I'd like to be wrong. Okay, so don't take this as some great uh, uh, opinion piece and editorial by Barack Lurie that uh, Obama is, is, you know, a man who is uh, just designed to, to, to hurt us all. I don't want to just have that opinion. I just, I'm coming to that conclusion, and I think it's an inescapable conclusion. It's a conclusion that Ari came to a lot earlier than I did. Um, but I, I wanted to believe otherwise, and I wanted to f- hold out hope. And you know what? It was just hope at the end of the day, because all the facts were coming in. And then with the Iranian deal, I think it really solidified it for me, because there's really no other way to look at it. And it, and it scares me. I, I don't like it. And I don't know what scares me more, Ari, at the end of the day. And maybe this is how we'll wrap up. Whether we have a president that wants to hurt the country or whether the country has so many people that are refusing to see it. And I think the latter is my, my greater concern. Because if we can't see this transparent uh, effort to downgrade America, then we really are doomed. But uh, hopefully we'll see what 2016 has to offer and maybe we can turn this, uh, this boat around. I think we can. This is Barack Lurie. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you next week.